But now we're moving into kindness. And I've never been so excited to talk about kindness, all right? So we're going to do that today. We're going to be in an interesting passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. And you'll know that kicker, the very last verse. You'll know it. You perhaps have memorized it, and we'll be looking at that. But think just for a minute about the word kindness. It's an attribute that affects so many other attributes and circumstances. It builds them up. It enhances them. It helps to focus them clearly. If if you're learning anything about the fruit of the Spirit, it's how intertwined they really are. Isn't that true? It's so hard to kind of separate them out because, well, patience has to do with peace or kindness has to do with goodness, with gentleness. We could go on and on. But today we, we look at this. In fact, kindness is such an important thing. Even country music. Yes, I said country music. Some of you are fans. Anybody? Oh, they admitted it. It's, I, it's, it blows my mind as a former musician that country music is the most popular music in the United States and in the world. Did you know that? You fact checkers are on your phone right now looking. At least it was last time I looked it up a couple years ago. But even country music has noticed the truth about kindness. Isn't that right? You old timers, Glenn Campbell had a song called Try a Little Kindness. Anybody know that one? Okay, come on up and sing it for us. Come on. (laughs) She sunk down there. Okay. Isn't that crazy? Did you know we even have uh, a day set apart? It's called the Random Acts of Kindness Day. Unfortunately, though, that is not reality. We, We live in a cruel world. If you really examine and look at it, it's a cruel world. I can't even read certain news articles. I can't... um watch the news on TV very often. I was just trying to look at a few articles and there was a couple just the most cruel things I I couldn't even think of. How could someone even do that? And and there it is. And so we live in a cruel world. Think about it. A road rage driver cuts you off in traffic into your lane. Your teenager listens to music that has lewd and hostile lyrics. Political candidates eviscerate each other. Have you noticed that? A star baseball player spits at an umpire. We live in a cruel world. In fact, it is impossible to ignore this growing rudeness, even, I would say, harshness of American life. But we got to remember something. As Christians, what? We are not of the world, but we are placed in the world to make a difference. The kingdom of God is our kingdom, amen, if you're a believer. And yet we are here in this cruel world to make a difference. I'm glad we sang the song we did. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. That's our message. That's the difference we can make to this cruel world, to this difficult, harsh world. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Have you tried Jesus? Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Kindness. We know it's a surefire way to win friends and influence people is to be kind. Isn't it amazing? You want to talk to someone about something? If you approach them with kindness, what usually happens? You talk about it. If you approach them with anger or rage, what usually happens? Like, whoa, don't, don't spill all that on me. So this, this is it's in us to know a little bit about kindness. We know it's a superior way to tear down walls and build bridges is kindness. It's the most important lesson for parents to teach their kids. It's right up there, kindness. Let me share about it just in this way as we get ready to read the scripture. A Yale University president gave advice to the president of Ohio State University, and this is what he said, always be kind 
to your A and B students. Have you heard that before? Someday one of them will return to your campus as a good professor. But then he went on to give this advice. Also be kind to your C students because they will be the one that comes back and builds the $50 million science laboratory. <laughs> be kind. No matter who it is, no matter what their grades are, a Sunday school teacher taught on kindness with the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And boy, she was just graphic and just eloquent in sharing all that went along on that road and what had happened. About The kids were just listening. The man was beaten. He was robbed. She said he even was left for dead. She described the situation in vivid detail so her students could really catch the drama. And then she asked the class, if you saw a person lying on the roadside, all wounded and bleeding, what would you do? A thoughtful little girl broke in the hushed silence and said, well, I think I'd throw up. <laughs> Kindness. It's we, know it, it, we, we know it's right. It's difficult to get our mind around it sometimes. And we have to start when we're young and keep working in that and allow God's Spirit to work in us for that. So let's quote Galatians 5, and 23. It'll be up on the screen. Would you say Galatians 5? Is it? Do we have it today? There it is, say it with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we're looking at this attribute, if you will, of the fruit. And I remind you again, that word means offspring, yield, results, produce, harvest. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Let's remember it's the Holy Spirit's fruit in us, but the fruit of the Spirit. We can't just conjure it up or say, I'm just going to be a little bit better. I'm going to be a good boy. We can't do that. We have to let the Holy Spirit indwell powerfully in our life. This word, though, this kindness, this biblical word for kindness is descriptive of a person's disposition. When you see it in Scripture, that's what it's talking about. It is a grace. It is the grace which pervades the whole nature. Here's another definition. It is what uh, it melts out all which would have been harsh or rigid. Sign me up. What about you? Wouldn't that be great to be in that kind of a setting with family, with neighborhoods, with countries, with the world? So the big idea today is we are simply to exhibit a kind life. We are to exhibit a kind life which is the result of the Holy Spirit working in us. Let's read Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 32. Therefore, now when you see a therefore there, what are you supposed to do? Ask why it's therefore. And if you will look back, we're not going to read it because then we'd read a whole chapter and you guys would say we'll never get out of here but if you'll look back uh, Paul has just talked about unity in the body and diversity in the body and how it works out and so after all that he says therefore look at it I say this and testify in the Lord you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts they are darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, about Jesus the Christ, 
assuming you heard him and were taught by him because the truth is in, what does it say? Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And you put on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness, in righteousness and purity of the truth. And then he gives some very specific things about this new life. Look at it. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting phrase? I don't see that in our world very much, do you? (laughs) We would say be angry and sin a lot, right? No, it says be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need. Now that's a phrase that some, some of us would like to kind of, can we just white that out in our Bible? Does that really count? Yes, every word, every phrase counts in the Bible. Look at that one more time, verse 29. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace <clears throat> to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, insult, and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness. And here's the verse. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you. He takes this amazing chapter, and at least how we've broken down chapter and verse, it's put together with this. And a lot of us memorized it, didn't we? memorized it this way. Be ye kind one to another, right? And so let's take a look at this, but I want to pray over the scripture before we do. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. May we hear your word today and not just words. May our hearts be open. May our ears be open. May you speak to us. And thank you, God, how you customize your word uniquely into each life. And I pray we'll be receptive in your name. We pray. Amen. So here we are just quickly in the book of Ephesians, and we know that Paul wrote Ephesians while he was in Rome in prison. This letter, I think, really shows a big scope. It's the full and big scope of God's eternal plan for all. Not just for Jews, but for Gentiles alike. Read it, you'll see that. The first three chapters focus on what Christians should believe. And the final three chapters explain the implications of God's grace for the church. I think it's pretty practical, and that's where we are today. It's it's God's grace for the church, for individuals, and for families. So we look at what it means to have new life in Christ, which includes kindness. Kindness is interwoven through all those things. So we, we see, I just want two big points today. The first one is this. In verses 17 through 24, uh, live the new life. Kind of not real personal yet, but a little bit personal, but live the new life. Now, we can break it down this way. Verses 17 through 19, he says, don't live this way. And then verses 20 to 24, do live this way. I like that. Simple mind, right? Don't do this, do that. And so we take a look at it. Now, why is this important talking about life? If you you know something about the Ephesians, they were particularly sinful, if that can happen. 
You think some folks here are sinful today in 2021. These folks were particularly sinful. In fact, the home, the headquarters of the pagan temple of Diane was there in Ephesus. They came out of this. Those who were believers came out of this. So let's look at uh, verses 17 through 19. Don't live this way. Paul begins by exhorting strongly, don't live like them, the non-Christians, the non-believer. Now, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 4, you'll see it just ties right together because in 4 verses 1, he says, I urge you to walk worthy. Walk this way in this life, not this way. Don't live any longer like the surrounding pagan culture. I fear more and more people are giving up and living like the pagan culture around them. And I'm talking about today. It's, it's a battle. We have to fight that. We have to be in the Word. We have to spend time with the Lord to fight that. It's so easy after something has been said over and over and over again, something that happens over and over again, for us to become a little desensitized or give up. We can't do that. We can't do that. Just like these folks, Paul says, make sure, for us today, make sure you don't live like the surrounding culture. How? How can we do this, Paul? Because it says it right there. He's testifying and saying this in the Lord. That's how we can do it. If the Lord is our source of authority, then this can be accomplished. Why? Why do it? Well, think about this. Why does this need to happen? Why do we remind it to not do this? It's because they, and really us, if you think about it, they came to Christ. Before they came to Christ, their minds, feelings, and actions were futile. And that's the same for us today. Now, maybe you've been saved a long time. The longer we're saved, the easier it is for us to forget what a dirty, rotten sinner we really were. Amen? And we had nothing to do with it. God's the one who saved. But if we're not careful, we, we oh, I'm getting better and better and better and better. No, we're still that person. We are just what? Saved. God has redeemed us. So our minds, feelings, and action before we came to Christ were futile. What does that mean? It means all that we did, it was a foolish method aiming at a foolish goal. And he talks about this. He says the futility of their thoughts. And in verse 18, he goes on, he says, in addition, not all, this life you're not supposed to be living, they were also darkened. Now that word, that word gives a picture of turning away from God. God is light. So turning away from God. They were darkened in their understanding. It is the idea of no light, being blacked out. It's a picture of being blacked out. Uh, Professor Snodgrass said it this way. That really is a name, by the way. It's funny, huh? <laughs> he said this, sin produces a malfunction of the mind. I like that. Sin produces a malfunction of the mind. This excludes people from the life of God. Did you catch that in verse 18? Excluding from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. Why are they excluded? Ignorance. But more than that, hard hearts cut off from spiritual life. So let's go further. Don't live this way. Look at verse 19. He goes on and adds another layer. They become callous. 
There are opportunities to respond to the good news. Today is that. The good news is shared today. It's an opportunity where you're watching online, where you're right here. You can respond to the good news. But they got callous, and they repeatedly refused that. Now, remember, Paul's writing. Did Paul have something to do with the region of Ephesus? He sure did. He was there. He traveled there. He preached. I guarantee you, every time he was anywhere, it's the good news about Jesus, right? It's his testimony. It's powerful testimony. And after, they just keep refusing and refusing and refusing. And in verse 19, did you see the consequence of becoming callous? They gave themselves over to promiscuity, a desire for every kind of impurity. You see, this life not only lacks kindness, but it lacks even more than that. It lacks any kind of moral restraint. And it leads to sexual obsession. That's really what it's talking about there. That's all that matters. Sexual obsession and a total perversion of the way God made us. If you read scripture and simply read it, you know how God made you. And you know how you should live. And you know what his plan is for you. If you read the word. It's really not that difficult. But, but not them. They were callous and callous. But here's the good news. He's doing this section. Don't do this. Don't be like this. It was their former life. You see, the good news is that many in the Ephesian church became new creations. Amen? Just like we are. Let us never forget we're a new creature. We're a new creation. God has come in and rescued us and saved us. So let us think differently. Let us respond to truth differently. Let us act differently from the pagan culture. Don't live this way. Pertinent to the readers, the first readers there, and very applicable today to us. Wouldn't you agree? Don't live that way. Let kindness rule in your life. Now, could we give example after example of that? We sure could. We sure could. A gentle answer turns away what? Say it again. Wrath, anger, rage. Yeah, it's, it's all throughout Scripture. So don't live this way. But let's move on to what I, I really like because I can hang my hat on this. Verses 20 through 24. But do live this way. It's a new life. Live out the new life and do it this way. We have um, a couple images there. In verses 20 and 21, we have the image of a school. Think teaching. Verses uh, 22 and 24, think changing clothes. Put it off. Put it on. And so we see uh, the image of school in verses 20 and 21. The subject here is Christ. That's a good school to be involved in, isn't it? The subject is Christ, the Messiah. And when you become a Christian, you don't merely learn about the teaching of Jesus. You develop a relationship with him. Did you catch that? Too many people are learning about Jesus, but they're not developing the relationship with Jesus. Bible studies are good. Church services are good. Sermons, eh, they could go either way. Concerts, worship songs. But we don't need more of that. What we need is to develop the relationship, the obedient life. Don't tell me how much you know about Jesus. Show me how he is developing kindness in you, how he's developing this relationship, the relationship of all relationships with you. Why? Because he is truth and trumps all worldly systems. 
Now we're going to look at the book of Jude here after we get done with the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that some. I don't care what your system is. It's not Jesus. Truth. You, you can put an ism or an ist on anything, but it's got to be Jesus and his truth. That's a school I want to be a part of. Unfortunately, it's kind of hard to find. But then we go to 22 through 24, and we see the image of changing clothes. And, and there's three infinitives, okay? There's the, the put off, or in my version, took off. There's the renewing or renewed, and then there's the putting on, put on, okay? So he first says, in, in this life, you do what? You take off your old sinful self. That's what's happened with these Christians. I just think of where they've come, the temple of Diane, all the way over here to Jesus Christ as Lord. What, just take off that old life. Psalm 51.5, David wrote this, Psalm 51.5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's in the Bible, folks. That's in the Bible. We inherit what? Sin nature from our grandpa and our grandma, Adam and Eve, or from our great uncle, Noah. We could go on and on and on, couldn't we? And we need to realize that. Man, I'm so tired. Well, I'm not so bad. What? Well, he's not so bad. What? We, scripture tells us that we are sinful from the time our mother conceived us. And so we got to take off. we got to take off that old sinful self. And he's, he's encouraging them. I, I think he really is encouraging them because they're in the process of doing that, leaving that life to that one. Wow. And then he talks about being renewed. Did you catch that? Look at that, if you would. That is verse twenty. You're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. It's present tense. It's correct to say being renewed. It's not a past thing that just happens and it goes away, but it's present tense. What does that mean? It's the process of God performing. God is performing in us. I want to read Romans 12 too. You know it, but let me read it to you. And you think about renewing your mind, if you would. Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So we know Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we often stop there. But did you know there's more to the verse? Let me read it again. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You want that in your life? Your mind needs to be transformed, needs to be renewed. And then the third image of this changing clothes is whatever, is putting it on, okay? You, you took it off, you're being renewed. Now, put it on. Put it on. You put on the new man. That's an interesting phrase. It literally means to sink into a garment. Okay? Picture that you're extremely wealthy, and you have all these tailors that come to your house, and they do all this. You're like the king in the old days, and they put it up, and you, you don't have to do like the rest of us, right? You just kind of sink into it. They have it there for you. That's the image of sinking into a garment. Well, what, what, what do we put on? What does it say we put on? We put on God's righteousness, and we put on his truth. What does that mean? Those are big words. It means we put on a new holy self and a new holy lifestyle. And then look at the very end of verse 24. 
You put on, well, I'll read verse 24. You put on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. It's an image of new creation. It's likeness. We are empowered to live out this identity in everyday life. God gives us the power. As the Holy Spirit indwells on us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, that can happen as we allow God to work in our life and to live that out. So, live the new life, but now I want to get to the last part, and I think it's very practical. It's live out, I, I did it this way, live out, okay, it's one thing to live, right? You know what I mean when I say live out, really go for it? Live out your new life. And we see a number of things. The first one we see is in verse 25, lying versus truth-telling. Uh, it's an imperative again. It's not an option. It's a quote from Zechariah. Do you see that? I, I, in some translations, uh, mine, for example, and others, what we find is uh, if you have bold-faced type there, it's telling us it's a quotation from, from the Scripture. And it's Zechariah eight sixteen. Speak truth to one another. That's what it says in, in Zechariah eight sixteen. So Paul adds weight with the phrase. Look what he does with it, though. He quotes, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. And then he goes on and says, because we are members of one another. Going back to chapter 4 towards the beginning. He puts that there. So he's saying, think about lying, how difficult that is. He's saying your words greatly affect not just you, but the whole body. That's why kindness is so vital. Think about it for a minute. If my eye looks at the hammer, my eye looks at the hammer, and he says to the hand, that hammer is not hard. What is that? When the hand gets smacked, guess what? It hurts. It hurts. So the words greatly affect the whole body. Now, when it says lying here, if you'll look at that, it, it, it actually is singular. It's the lie. It's like, don't divide them up. Don't, let's not talk about little white lies or big lies or whatever. Singular, the lie. It says, get rid of that. Stop it. Put it away. Put it away, period. And it can even carry the idea, idea of idolatry, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. That's what lying really is, exchanging God's truth for whatever we want it to be or to be convenient about it. Now, we know from Scripture, if you'll read Proverbs, many, many verses in Proverbs, it's clear, God hates lying. And in John 8, 44, we're told that Satan is a liar. So when we tell the truth, when there's truth-telling involved, we imitate God. So when we tell the truth, there's imitation of God. But when we lie, guess who we're imitating? Satan. Wow. So think about it. I would just say this verse basically says, stop lying. Live out your new life by, by stopping your lies. Let's move on. We have, I, I said anger versus anger. If you just look at that, you go, what are we talking about? Well, there's more than one kind of anger in verses 26 and 27. And again, it starts out, be angry and do not sin. That's from Psalm 4, 4. The scriptures do permit a particular type of anger. Did you know that? Did you know that? I want to be very careful here. I've run across, across many people that have talked about the scripture allows righteous anger or indignation. And you know what they were doing? They were giving an excuse 
for their anger to be quote-unquote okay. Let's be careful not to put words into the Scripture. The Scripture does permit a particular type of anger. You might call it righteous anger, but it is a holy anger against, guess what? Sin. Sin that's it. Not, not against, um, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs beating the Broncos, where's Troy? Not, you know, or, 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 or uh, a bank account or, or the stock market went down, or my stock went down, or whatever, or just I don't like something there, they're angry. No, it's a holy anger against sin. That is okay. We need to feel this. We should hate sin like God hates sin. Did you catch that? We often say we should, we love the sinner, but we what? Hate the sin. No, we, we should hate sin like God hates sin, not like Lamar hates sin or whoever else hates sin. We've got to be really careful with that. And Jesus provides us with examples, didn't he? He provides with the example. What happened? When he turned over the ta tables in the temple. Do you remember that? That's an example of hating sin, of righteous anger. Later on, he responds to the questions about the healing on the Sabbath. Do you remember when they tried to get him? He was doing a healing on the Sabbath, and they were talking about, no, our rules say you can't work or do anything like that. He had righteous anger. So we've got to be careful. We must resolve for this type of anger. But guess what else it says there? Don't keep your anger for more than a day. Wow. Is that tough? Let me just say, boy, I just, I'm feeling good today. We might be here all day. I have, and, and, and Hoppintown, you are not immune to this because I've read some of your posts, not just my friends' posts from high school, not just other pastors' posts, not just other people that I know. Our social media posts are breaking this rule. It says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And you continue to post in anger day after day and week after week until finally we hit the button and we unfriend you. Are you familiar with that? That's what I love about Facebook. You can unfriend someone and it doesn't, it says they won't know. You'll still be friends. And I'm like, oh good, they won't know. But maybe they should know. Because if you're harping on something in anger day after day, it says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Thank you, because it's about the quietest I've ever heard it in here. <laughs> Bob, you saved me. I was getting ready to cry. Think about it. Why? Why is this so important? Because the scripture tells us right there, the devil will win the day over us if we don't do this. So when we're angry, we cannot sin. We, we can hate sin like God hates sin, that righteous anger. But then the step further is you got to get through it. Don't let the sun go down upon your anger, or the devil will win. And kindness is a key to this. I don't, know any, I don't know of any weapon better that we can have in our arsenal than kindness. Kindness helps to keep at bay bitterness. Wow. We should pass an offering plate or something right now. That is a good place to end, but we're going to continue on. Look at verse 28. Here's another one. It's stealing versus working. And when you see working, you can't separate it from giving and generosity. Take a look at verse 28. The thief must no longer steal, and city must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something, do you see it? To share with anyone in need. I think this verse is abundantly clear. 
John Wesley said it well. Can I quote John Wesley here? He said, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. That is powerful if you think about it. Work. Well, what do we know about work? Well, we know that work is good. It meets needs. We talked about honest work. Work is good. It meets needs. Secondly, it allows us to give to others who are in need. Third, it allows us to support the advancement of God's kingdom. So that's good. Well, let's move on to the next section he talks about. Verses 29 and 30, it says uh, foul talk versus encouraging talk. It basically says we're to get rid of foul talk. Now, if I can quote a great theologian of yesteryear, you might have heard of her. It's my mama. Your mama probably said the same thing. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? There's truth to that. I mean, we, we, we see right here that there should be no rotten talk that comes from your mouth, mouth, only what builds up. That word means, it does mean, it means rotten. It, it, it's stronger than that, though. It means putrid. It means filthy. In the New Testament, guess what it refers to? Rotten fruit. Anybody experienced that ever? You ever taken a bite? And it was, that's bad. Don't do it. It's not good. And the second thing it, it refers to is rotten fish. So this unkind type of speech, foul, rotten talk, makes one sick. Let me quote Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. Matthew 12, 36 and 37. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to give account for, guess what? You want to guess? Every careless word they speak. Yipes. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That's what Jesus said. Instead, do what? It's clear here. We have the alternative. How can we live out our new life? We can use wholesome, kind words, words that build up, words that don't grieve the Holy Spirit by dishonoring God. So you see in the context there, it says don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. It, it's, it, what it's talking about right there is the talk. That's the context. So we, we, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit because by, by using rotten, putrid talk instead of encouraging talk, we do that. We dishonor God. And then finally, verses 31 and 32, the famous verse that's there. I've entitled this bitterness and rage versus kindness. This part of Scripture ends with a stark contrast. Look at it. This is what we're to remove. All bitterness, anger, wrath, insult, and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness. Wow. So there it is. Insult could be translated shouting. Have you ever had someone shout you down? Wow. It's just not to happen. And he, he says all malice there, okay? But I want to tell you something. It's not enough to just try to remove these things. You see, Christian, so often in our own strength, we try to remove these things. You would think that's good, right? It's good to remove bitterness. It's good to remove anger and wrath. It's good to remove shouting to slander malice. But it's not enough to remove God's Holy Spirit indwelling us has to be working. And not only is there removal, but there must be a replacement. 
or the vacuum, the void is still there. If I'm a bitter person and I remove that bitterness, guess what? It's still there. It's going to come back. It has to be replaced. What do we replace it with? Look at verse 32. And be ye kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We replace with kindness the fruit of the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, His fruit as He indwells in us. To not do this, we do not rightly understand or appreciate Jesus' forgiveness. You see that verse? Look at the last part of the verse. We don't appreciate His forgiveness. Let us think on His kindness. Let us think on His love. Let us think on His forgiveness daily. It will change us. It will make us more like Him. Be ye kind one to another. I read this story recently from David Jeremiah. I don't often read stories, but I'm going to read this story real quickly, and you listen closely. I can't talk like he does. You know, he's taller, and he kind of gets over and looks at you if you've ever seen him, and you just go, yes, Lord. No, he's not really Lord, but it's a good story he shared. Are you ready? Powerful. Thad, that's a name, Thad didn't have a choice. He commuted on foot to work each night, and his route took him through a dangerous section of town. Now, I'm reminded of that. When we uh, first went to seminary, I, the only job I could get was as like the number eight janitor at the uh, Gamble Street Baptist Church right across the street from seminary. You think, seminary right across? No. We lived about four blocks over, and I had to walk through, if you've ever seen South, Southwestern Seminary back in those days especially, it was like ghetto around there. And so I would, as the low, low man, uh, I would have to sometimes come home late at night. And so I learned how to run. I hate running, but I learned how to run fast from the time I left that church building to get to our apartment because it was dark and uh, there were some scary characters out here. So this is that. He, he, his route takes him through a dangerous section of town and down a darkened block with a broken streetlight grate. His whole body tensed for about three minutes as he passed that way. Nerves jumpy, ears alert, but they were as quiet as cats the night they attacked him. And he never heard them coming. In the darkest spot on the street, a hand grabbed his shoulders and pulled him into the alley. The blows came like hailstones. When Thad crumpled to the ground, his attackers started kicking. Thad curled into a fetal position, whimpering. Bleeding, teeth and ribs broken, body throbbing, backpack gone, valuables stolen, coat and shirt ripped off through swollen eyes. He gazed up as a nearby church dismissed their services. But no one looked his way. He tried to wave his hand in the air as the pastor hurried past. The deacons and elders had, other th elders had other things on their mind, and they scurried towards safer areas. Some of them heard his sobs, but none of them stopped. Now, if you're perceptive, you know, of course, that it's his modern-day retelling of the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And we remember... All that did happen to the guy. Beaten, all those things happened on the road. And yes, religious people passed by, but what's the kicker of the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's that 
One guy showed kindness, right? I mean, went the second and third mile. One guy. And who was he? A despised Samaritan. As people heard these leaders, these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, the disciples, as everyone heard the parable of the good Samaritan, can you imagine how they fell out of their chair, if they were in a chair, when he said it was a despised Samaritan? He was the one who showed kindness. He was the good neighbor. And Jesus closes it out in Luke chapter 10, verses 37. And listen to what he says. Remember, the parable is what? A teaching, and it has a kicker at the end, doesn't it? It has a truth. And he says simply this, go and do likewise. It's an imperative. It's as if he was saying, you and you and you go. What does that mean? That word means to walk, to live, to conduct oneself. Remember, it was the one who showed kindness. And he says, you go. I think it's interesting. It comes from a root word meaning, uh, this is a serious word. Listen to what it means. We would say sometimes, as you go, as you're going, right? Great commission. But there's a root word that this comes from, and it, it, it means this, to pierce or run through. This has got to get to you so much that it pierces you, that it runs through you, and you go and do likewise. And I say to us today, may we go in this kind way. May kindness become a hallmark of us because I guarantee you people are watching and I guarantee you this will be very winsome to them. This will be very, a kind person is very attractive. And in our world today, we must win the right to share Jesus. It's the way of kindness. And I say, God help us. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that as a boy, I learned part of that verse, be ye kind one to another. And God, I'm sad that I don't really understand it all. I'm still unpacking that. We are as a church, and God, I would just pray that we would see that the fruit of the Spirit is not optional, it's required, and we should go and do likewise, like the kind Samaritan. God, help us to remember the life that we had before we were Christian, and God, if we were saved at a very early age, that might be difficult, but we are now adults, and we can see what life would be like without Christ and what life is like with Christ. So, God, help us to see the stark contrast. Help us to live out our new life in Christ. And God, I just confess to you, and I I would ask that you would help me to be more kind. I can't do it on my own, but your Spirit can indwelling me. I pray that we would be known as a kind church, a church of kindness, that people would seek us out because of that. God, I ask that you'd speak to us today. I ask God, I've been praying that you would put a relationship into each one of our hearts today and we would think about that broken relationship or that distant relationship 
or just not as good as it could be because of the absence of kindness. I pray, God, that we would confess that even right here today. I pray that we would pray about that to you. God, you would restore. God, remind us we can't just try to remove it on our own, but you must replace it with you. Help us, Lord, in your name we pray.